and asking. Uh, and yet some, sometimes we're a little bit like Acts 12, when God answers the prayer, it's almost like it's, oh, that was okay. We, we need to be people that are full of praise and thanks as well. And God's, God's answered prayers this week. And, um, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm reminded of Matthew 5.16 where it says that we're to be salt and light. And it goes on to say that they, it seems to me clearly that it's not talking about believers there, it's talking about unbelievers, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So sometimes when people that uh, have got an entrepreneurial gift and ability to build business see something taking place that attracts them, they end up actually wanting to go on the journey, give something into it. And, uh, and of course, we're believing at the end of the day for all these people that will come to a place of finding the Lord as well. But uh, it's, it's great to hear all that's uh, happened even this week and the favor of God to give us a mode of transport that enables us to take forward another expression of sowing into the community. Um, last week, we celebrated Mother's Day. We're glad to do that. And we're just going to pick up again uh, this morning on our... Uh, spring series here uh, called Stand. Uh, Christian opened this up uh, three weeks ago and then Josh spoke from Corinthians 15, 58 about standing firm. I just want to take you back to the the sort of context of this before I come to the main verse that I want us to just look at for a few moments this morning. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul comes to the conclusion of this wonderful letter to the church at Ephesus, a significant city context in that day. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. He begins to talk about the fact that as Christian believers, we are engaged in a spiritual conflict. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, in the light of that, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around the waist etc it begins to talk about the armor of God four times there we are encouraged to stand and it seems to me friends that this is an appropriate uh, passage of scripture this is a prophetic word that we sow into the life of the church in these days we understand that there can be extremes in the whole area of spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare and we really don't want to go there we want to live with a balanced understanding of what God's saying some folks friends can talk about nothing else and the reality is they're always under siege if you're always under siege you've got to say there's something wrong because the reality is even even soldiers in a natural sense find situations where they withdraw from being under siege if your life's always chaos if it's always conflict, if it's always a problem, if it's always going wrong, it's not how God wants us to live. But here's the truth, friends. As Christian believers, for the very fact that we've stepped into the light and followed Jesus Christ, we are engaged in a spiritual conflict. We don't go to warfare, we're in it. The enemy comes in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it's a full frontal attack upon individuals and upon the church of Jesus Christ talking to a fellow leader yesterday who was conscious in this season of his life, a very balanced person, very conscious in this season of his life that they really are engaging in some enemy opposition into their context. We understand that. Other times, friends, it must just be the, it's just the little accusing voice that gnaws away in us and seeks to stop us fulfilling our potential in God. And we must be aware of all of those things. But the truth of the matter is that Paul takes this 
full on and says that in that situation we're to stand. Notice where the engagement of the battle is. It's not against flesh and blood. Some churches, friends, forever give the impression that they're fighting other people. And uh, no wonder that people don't listen to them at times. We're not fighting other people. We're there to love other people, to engage with other people, to share with other people. We're not in that battle. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The forces of wickedness that are array, friends, in the unseen world that seek to stop the church becoming all that God's intended it to be. And the Bible says that when Christian believers understand that, they need to take their stand. They need to take their stand. The original language of the New Testament for that word is histomy. It means to abide, to continue, to establish, to set. He's speaking about readiness and alertness. He's talking about us friends being really up for what God has called us to be. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but the very inference of Ephesians 6 is that we do wrestle. And where we wrestle, friends, is in the spiritual uh, places where sometimes the enemy will seek to come and seek to stop us being what God has destined us to be. And the reality is we ought to be thankful that opposition comes at times because we're, it's, it's a sure confirmation that the church is on the track that God has purposed it to do. As this church, Arena Church, reaches out into the community, we thank God for people that get it. But believe me, and this man particularly also receives brickbats from the community. Well, what do you want to do that for? You see? Because people will forever say, oh, okay, then we're not bothered doing it. You know, we'll retreat back into just doing church services, keeping a few folks happy, and that's what we're called to be. But we're not, friends. We're called to change a community. We called, we called us, we were reminded just then in another context, to be a city on a hill that cannot be hid. And here's what it is, that they look at us and see how we do life is so fantastic. That's how we'd like to do life. That's changing a community, friends, where people start to engage and look on and see the church operating in such a winsome way as the people of God. Throwing with wisdom, pouring out generosity, expressing love, bringing forgiveness to one another. They say that's how community ought to work. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And this season, friends, is a call for us to establish ourselves afresh to be alert and to be ready. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. And do you know, when we talk about the word wrestling, we, we have sort of images that conjure in our, in our minds. Some of you might like that sort of worldwide, sort of, um, sort of American-Canadian stuff that's on, 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 on sort of satellite. It's nothing to do with this. By the way, that's not proper wrestling. I'll come to that in a moment. And of course, for those of you at a certain age, you might remember... Uh, Saturday afternoons at four o'clock with Kent Walton. Anybody sort of remember wrestling on a Saturday afternoon? And he used to say, welcome to all the grappling fans. Can you remember? I was used to wonder why the bouts always used to finish before the football resorts came on. And then I realized it was all fixed. That's not wrestling, friends. It was musical. It was theater. It was knockabout. They all planned it in the first plan. I'm sorry to prick your bubble. It's absolutely true. <laughs> it was all sorted out. And when Mick McManus was supposedly sort of chopping Jackie Palo by the throat, he, he never really did, you know. And he was great slapstick. <clears throat> but the reality is I wasn't wrestling. But actually, in every modern Olympic Games, there's been a discipline called Greco-Roman wrestling. And they wear those sort of leotards that have made Borat famous. And they... Uh, they uh, <clears throat> 
Well, perhaps not quite as skimpy as that, but you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> and uh, they grapple. This is the proper discipline. This is the wrestling where Paul was using the picture of ancient times that people would identify with. And that wrestling, friends, speaks about ensnaring, entwining, entrapping. And that's what the enemy wants to do with us individually and also with the church. And the fact of the matter is that we understand that. We're not frightened by it, intimidated, pushed back by it, because God says that in those situations and during those contexts, we are called to make our stand. To abide, to continue, to establish and to set. To have readiness and alertness so that it doesn't sort of catch us off guard, that it doesn't knock us off the track, that it doesn't defeat us, that we press through to be all that God has called us to be. And this morning, having sort of heard uh, Christians sort of encouraging us to, to, to stand in the gap, to stand out for the, uh, from the crowd and to stand up for the Lord and for Josh to encourage us to stand firm in the work that God's called us to do. I want us to talk for just a few moments about something that I think is often misunderstood. And it's taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, a, a chapter that a numbers of you will know because it's about the battle of Jehoshaphat with the enemy tribes. And here's the truth. We don't have time to read it this morning because it's a significantly long uh, chapter. But I want to draw our attention to verse 17. Because in the midst of a prophetic word, now I'll come back to it in a moment, the prophetic word says, take your positions and stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. Now some translations have stand firm as well. But in many it says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I want us to think for a moment about what does it mean to stand still? And believe you me, I'm not talking about as though we're playing spiritual musical statues. I'll come to it in a moment. I'm not even talking about being quiet. Still. Because actually, this chapter is full of praise. So what does it mean to stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord? You might say, well, 2 Chronicles 20, that sounds a bit of a weird chapter, talking about some king of hundreds and thousands of years ago. What's that got to do with us? Well, the Bible says that when we have a spiritual eye, friends, to understand the revelation of God's word in Romans chapter 15 and 4, that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, it was a context, it was a situation, it was an incident, but with the spiritual heart, we can apply the principles to our life, and it relates right down to our world today. Stand still and see the deliverance or the salvation of the Lord. So what I'm going to do over the next few minutes, very, very briefly, is just take us quickly through this story that took place in the history of the people of Judah. And then I'm going to bring one or two encouragements to us at the end to encourage us on this journey of standing. Not to be afraid, not to be afraid, not to be devastated, not to be put off track, not to be knocked off course, but to stand still and see the deliverance, the salvation of the Lord. There were two protagonists in this particular battle, as there often are. There was King Jehoshaphat on one side, the fourth king of Judah. He, was, uh, he succeeded his father Asa, and he had a heart, the Bible says, to do all the ways of the Lord. He was a good king. On the other side, friends, there were the enemy tribes, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Menuhites, and they came together because they were still vying for the possession of the land that wasn't lawfully or legally theirs. 
And did you know, friends, that the enemy continues to take back from you things that are not legally his? Because in Christ Jesus, the situation's already been dealt with. You have to stance and take hold of what is rightfully yours. He'll seek to solve the lies in. He'll seek to say something over you that is not true. He'll seek to bring condemnation when there's no condemnation to those that are in Jesus. He seeks to take back from us what has already been established. And so the battle begins to join. And I'll give you a few things. Firstly, the opposition. And it may be that, um, you know, you'll read this chapter perhaps later in the day or during this week because I think you'll get most from it. If you'll take time, 10 minutes, you'll read it, uh, 2 Chronicles 20, and you'll just get the points that I'm trying to make. So the opposition, it it was described as a vast army. It was an unholy alliance. I was in the context of leaders on Wednesday morning talking about an unholy alliance. And they emerge sometimes, friends, in contexts that express spiritual battle. And sometimes the most unlikely people come together to stop the purposes of God going forward. It's incredible. Don't have time to develop that this morning, but it's absolutely true. So these people came together. Now, if we had time this morning, we could look deeply at what these tribes represented. But let me just say to you this morning, friends, that against the people of God, the covenant people of God, the the people of Judah, the people that were seeking to follow the Lord, led by a king that wanted to do the right things of God, these people represented immorality. They represented witchcraft, satanic powers, bondage. They represented idolatry. They represented arrogance. They did things, friends, in terms of their disrespect for children that we see expressed today in our context where we think that children are often a commodity. I'm talking about before they even have the opportunity to express their destiny in the earth. So all these people stood for things that weren't of light but of darkness. And it was a vast army. And here's the truth. In verse 3 it says that the people were alarmed. The Message Bible says that the king was shaken. So here's the truth. We don't deny the opposition. As Christian prayed this morning for the compassionate spirit of Jesus to impact people's hearts. In a precious moment of worship, we understand at times that people can feel opposed. And here's the truth, we really are. Don't deny the fact that leaders get opposed at times. I'm incredibly aware at times that things try to oppose me. They try and stop me. And sometimes it seems vast. And being the nature and temperament that I am, I sometimes get alarmed. But God's for us. So what was the response? Well, verses 3 to 13 outlined the response. Number one, they prayed. Well, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? People say, well, why do you pray in Arena Church? Because, well, let me, let me just give you one or two responses to that. Number one, it's all about him and not about us. And here's the second thing. Every time we pray, we're confessing that we can't do anything in our own strength. We continually need the help of God. In other words, it's thrown ourselves upon the Almighty. They prayed. The Bible says they fasted as well. They fasted. And we encourage people to engage in the discipline of fasting at appropriate seasons and times. Boy, just come back from Africa, you've got to stop them fasting. You know? And uh, they're, they're just incredible, some of these guys. I mean, 40-day fast, just bring it on. You know what I mean? And uh, they're, just, they're just incredible. But the reality is, friends, that... Uh, it, it, what does fasting do? It removes from us 
just it's, it's a layer aside of that which is natural to reach out in depth to the Lord. The Bible says also that they were united. There was a oneness about them, which is fantastic in spiritual conflict. Here's the truth, friends. Why do you think the enemy forever wants to sow disunity into the church of Jesus Christ? Because he knows that a disunited people are enfeebled for the battle. They don't do very well at taking their stands when the six, seven, eight elements in the church. But when we're one, when we're united, when as Philippians said in our Bible ministry on, Sunday, on, the, on the Tuesday evening, that we stand as one man in one spirit for the faith of the gospel. Friends, we can take anything on. Because the power of unity is incredible. These people were together. They were united. Verses 3 and 14 give expression to that. And they also said, importantly in verse 12, that our eyes are upon the Lord's. And Joshua gave a lead in this prayer. And good leaders ought to give good lead in prayer. Not because they're better prayers than other people in the church, but because we ought to carry something. And Joshua reminded God who he was. He didn't need reminding, but Jehoshaphat needed reminding. So sometimes when we're confessing that God is great, God doesn't need to be told he's great again, but we need to confess that he's great. Because as we confess that he's great, we start to believe that he's great. So they confessed who he was. They had a confidence that they would be hurt. And they expressed their cry for help. Lord, help us. Help us. Because we look to you. It says there in in, uh, verse 12, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no powers to face this vast army that is attacking us, but we do not know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. What a wonderful place to be. And the effect of all that... Well, God sends a prophetic word. On occasions in the Old Testament, friends, the Holy Spirit came upon particular people for a particular purpose. How many of you know the Holy Spirit didn't come into being in Acts chapter 2? He's the eternal spirit. He's always been, he always will be because he's God's. He breathed upon the waters. So he's always been. But in the Old Testament, in the economy of God, there weren't many specific expressions of the Spirit of the Lord at work. That's why Jesus said in John 7, if anyone is is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Spirit that had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. One of the signs that we've got the Holy Spirit in the church today, friends, is that there's a man in glory who conquered death, hell, and the grave, and his name is Jesus. But on occasions, the Spirit of the Lord came upon people. And in 2 Chronicles 20, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Benaiah, and he began to prophesy. He began to prophesy. I tell you, friends, the prophetic word, when it works, is incredible. It breaks something open. It brings a dynamic of God that causes us to be lifted in faith to see that all is possible in him. And the prophetic word said a number of things. First of all, it said to the people, don't fear. Then it reminded them in verse 15 that the battle was God's. Then verse 17, the key verse that I've tried to draw our attention to this morning, stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. And then he says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so the strategy came out of that. You see, stand still was not, was not friends, doing nothing. Stand still was not, <clears throat> was not pushing back on God. So they implemented a strategy. 
And out of this word, out of this prophetic word, came a plan that was going to take on the enemy of the Lord. And it was led by a spirit of praise. And you've heard preachers and teachers that are encouraging a spirit of praise in the church, often to use 2 Chronicles 20 as a foundation to encourage people to understand the power of the spirit of praise. Why do we praise to the Lord and worship to the Lord at the beginnings of services? Is it because we can't think of anything else to do? No, friends, it's engaging our attention on God. And it's exercising our right, our privilege, our authority to be able to declare to the heavens that God is real, that he reigns, he rules in righteousness. And things begin to take place as we begin to praise the Lord. That's why the enemy loves quiet churches. Oh, we like it quiet in our church. Friends, where's that in the Bible? The Bible says, clap your hands, all your people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. For years we've had a battle this because lots of people want it quiet. Quiet. We have people say, we'd love to come to your church if you just tone it down a bit. Here's the answer, friends. We're not. We're not. We're not going to pander to a religious spirit that wants to define church by somebody's history. We're a praising people. We love to declare the praises of God. Read about it in the scriptures, friends, where God used musical instruments to bring the praise to the Lord. Where actually there was a prophetic dynamic to even music that releases the people of God. We understand there's moments of quiet. And some people don't think arena can do quiet, period. But the reality is on occasions, we can. And the reality is we've all been in services where the holy hush of God has come upon us. It's been amazing. We're actually, we just needed to absorb all that God was doing in a particular way. We understand all of that. But the principle is, friends, that God's called us to bring praise. The result of that praise, fifthly, was an amazing victory because God supernaturally brought confusion to the enemy tribe so that they began to war against each other. And the outworking of that, friends, is that they completely devastated themselves. Stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. The the army of Judah never had to lift a sword, never had to lift a hand, and God sorted it anyway. He brought victory. He brought supply, verse 25. The supply, the plunder for the enemy was so great that it took three days to collect. Whoa! Where God can use the enemy, friends, to bring us the supply that we need. He brought joy because there was great joy in the camp. The Message Bible says an exuberant parade ensued. That doesn't sound like quiet to me. In verse 29, there was respect from the nations. The fear of the Lord gripped those that looked on. And they said it came upon the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemy. Of Israel, There's an amazing paradox in the Acts of the Apostles where people wanted to join the church, but then they weren't sure if they wanted to join it. In other words, they wanted to join it to get saved, but they thought, these guys are carrying something. The fear of the Lord came upon people. There was a respect that birthed itself in people's hearts as people looked on and saw God is with those people. And finally, there was blessing, there was peace in the land. It was amazing, friends. God worked. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord. Psalm 46, 10, which has been a great verse to many of you over your Christian journey. Be still and know that I 
um, God. Interestingly, Psalm 46 and 2 Chronicles 20 were both written in conflict situations. So what is being? What is standing still? What is it not? Well, I've already alluded to it. It's not about being quiet. It's not about being silent. It's not about being reverent. It's not about, friends, being passive. It's not about being inactive. It's not about being inert. It's not about doing nothing. It's not about the church. You know, some churches have been like that for years. Hello, the world's moved on. We've got computers. We've got mobile phones. We've got people connecting across the earth. But they've been... And God's looking for a church, friends, that he can use that are standing still but are not expressing it in that particular way. So what was it? Well, standing still is simply this. Standing still, friends, is simply drawing our attention to God. I'm sorry, it's no deeper than that. It's drawing our attention to God. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says that we always ought to keep our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. The New American Standard Bible says, stop striving. The Message Bible in Psalm 46.10 says, step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at me, your high God above everything. And 2 Chronicles 20 says, watch God's saving work take shape. Take shape. Friends, simply this morning, the call to stand still as we're alert, as we're ready, as we're set, as we're established, is to simply come again and take a fresh look at the Almighty God. Because here's the truth. He's in control of your situation. He knows everything about your life. He understands your inner world. He gets your situation. And you've been chasing around, frantically trying to sort it all out yourself. You've been conscious that you've been in some sort of battle and there may be a spiritual dimension to it. We get all that. But you thrashing around, you being frantic, you getting in your own strength is not going to work, friends. That is not standing still. But standing still is that you intentionally draw your attention again to the sovereign, almighty, first and last God who knows every hair on your head and says it's going to be okay if you'll continue to look to me. I said earlier that standing still was not being static because immediately they received this word, they bowed together, and then it says... that they got ready to go out and face the enemy. They implemented a plan, as I've already said, of praising the Lord. But they did it not from their own efforts, not from their own strength, but they did it, friends, from a freshly renewed vision of who the Lord was. Standing still, friends, will mean recognizing that God really is in control. Standing still will mean releasing all of our natural fears, qualms, and questions to him. Standing still, friends, will mean submitting, unreservedly yielding afresh to the Lord. Some years ago, as you know, we led a church in Jackstown, and occasionally we used to let a guy called Frank 
minister. Now, Frank came to the Lord in Egypt when he served in the forces in the early 50s. So that was one thing. And his little, he had another phrase about laying go. So there was a bit of a competition that used to be on because every time he preached, and it wasn't often, he used to get Egypt in somewhere. He'd come out of Egypt. And you'll know that spiritually speaking, coming out of Egypt means leaving the past behind. And his other little phrase was let go and let God. And he'd not preached if he'd not got that little phrase in. And I was thinking about Frank that's now with the Lord this morning because in essence, friends, that's it. Let go and let God. It may be that God's giving you a strategic plan. It may be that there's something you have to implement. It may be that it's nothing more than actually, you need to let that song of praise begin to come from your very inner being again to help you focus upon the Lord. It may mean, and I've hammed it up a little bit, forgive me, that you need to find that quiet place in your world this week. Say, God, I'll just focus on you again. It may be, friends, that you need just to sit there and play some music that will help you come to the presence of the Lord. It may be that you just need to read this chapter. It may be that you just need to quietly say, God, I'm so sorry for trying to take it all on myself, sort it all out myself. How foolish I've been. It may be that this week you've been conscious of the fact that you're in a season where the conflict seems particularly fierce. It's not for you to win the battle, because the battle belongs to the Lord. It's for you to reset your focus upon him and say, God, help me in every situation. Verse 20, they set out a community of people led by the choir to bring praises to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And an amazing, supernatural, swift victory ensued. The Bible says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, let's stand firm in the work that God's called us to do. And this morning, with great simplicity, rooting it right back down to our relationship with the Lord, let's take another look at him. Let's draw our attention afresh to the sovereign Lord that rules and reigns in righteousness, that's never going to abdicate his throne. And let's take some moments to stand still. For you, you say, I've never even become a believer, Phil. I'm chasing around. I'm trying to sort this thing out. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And here's the truth. The Christian gospel can give you the answer to every one of those questions. Maybe this morning as Christian brings an invitation to pray in a moment, you can stand still for the first time and look upon God in Jesus Christ and say, I need him. I need him. And for those of us that are Christian believers today, please hear us as leaders We don't underestimate some of the things that people have to navigate in the life of our church. And sometimes those things come unexpectedly. There are things that we prefer that you didn't have to go through. But we face up to the reality of life and what it presents us. And we want to encourage you this morning to say there's a way through. There's a battle that can be won. That God is always for us and always will be. And perhaps again this morning we can take a few moments to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord.